Hello and welcome to Meet the Stars, the podcast where each week I look Anthony delve deeper into the career, life and mental health of the stars. This week's guest is professional actress Davina Moon with films such as the recent Aladdin, TV appearances in EastEnders and multiple performances at the West End to her name. If you'd like to get in touch, follow us on social media or find out more about this week's guest. All of that information is in the description. But for now, please welcome to the show, Davina Moon. So we've, we've managed to finally do this. It's good. I know. Thank you so much for persevering. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It really doesn't bother me that much. I, it's given me more time to do a bit of research, I guess. <laughs> so you're an actor, singer, or actress, singer. What's what's the right pronoun these days? Is it is it? Oh, do you know what? It's it really varies. I thought it was just actor for all now these days. Well, it was, and and then there was a time when people would say, "Oh, you're an actress," and I say actor uh, because you know we're all equal, and then. They started, I don't know who they are, but we all started calling ourselves actress because then we were like, do you know what? No, we fought for the right for, you know, to have female representation in this industry. So it's just sort of become actress. And I think really it's just getting, it's just for clarity for, you know, if you're male or female, you you, you can clarify to others what you go by. So I guess, I don't know, I guess, I mean, I just go by actress. Okay, I'll I'll try that again. You're a thespian... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're, you're a thespian a vocalist and voiceover artist how's that that'll do yeah. <laughs> i might confuse some <laughs> yeah i'm sure i will at what point in your life did you decide to pursue entertainment as a career path as a career i i knew i had a thing for it and it wasn't quite a passion but it was it was definitely something i wanted to do when i went to see um phantom of the opera and I just sort of fell in love with the whole show, the whole spectacle of, you know, the audience and the applause and the the solos and the, the chorus numbers and the ensemble, everything, the whole package. And also with Phantom of the Opera, the, the lighting and the magic of it. And so I started doing more at school, like singing and dancing and then I went on to college and I think that's when I knew that that was it, that was going to be my profession because I went to college um, you know, to train us and actor slash actress slash thespian slash performer slash artist <laughs> slash, yeah. slash vocalist slash voiceover artist <laughs> yeah, slash 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 yeah so um and obviously obviously horse riding is on your your resume like it is on every actress's well i i used to own a horse in australia where i grew up ah. and now it has been many many years since i got on a horse but um yeah i figure it's like riding a bike right you know just get back on <laughs> It's a classic thing, you know, just like, yeah, I'd do anything. Yeah, I could do anything. Yeah, yeah. no. We, we finally have got a part where I have to do a bungee jump and I've never done one. And trying to scramble together some trying to, some charity charity campaign just so I can learn how to do it just for an audition. <laughs> I think I've, I mean, I definitely, nothing on my CV, as far as I'm aware. Oh, actually, so I was going to say nothing on my CV is fabricated uh, on my spotlight but I did go into audition once and they said you can do a Scottish accent I went uh no and they went oh well it's on your spotlight I went well that can come off I said I'm I'm not even going to attempt that so I don't know where Scottish came from but there's no that's 
not something I can do. But I do have a Northern Irish accent on my CV. And when you look at me, the last thing you expect is a Northern Irish accent. And I remember one agent looking at me saying, Northern Irish, that's a very difficult accent to do. I said, well, my mother's from Belfast and I grew up surrounded by the accent and mimicking it almost on a daily basis. And she went, yep, you can do a Northern Irish accent. <laughs> <laughs> that was, and I've actually used it in performance. Um, last year, I was in a production of um, The Last Temptation of Boris Johnson and they they wanted me to do... Um, I was playing two different characters, Act 1 and Act 2. So Act 1 required my own accent and Act 2, they wanted it to be a you know dis- distinguishable difference. But... Uh, easily achieved by just putting on a different accent and they uh, they went um, how about Northern Irish and I was like okay so I did it and uh, they were like yeah awesome and the producer was from Northern Ireland and she was like yeah sold it to me <laughs> so I was like thank goodness I was terrified once I found out that she was Northern Irish oh really did she because I didn't know yeah. at the time. Yeah. What was her <laughs> thoughts on on your accent? Was she pleased with it? Was she? She was. Yes. Yeah. She was very pleased. And I said to her, "I said you will call me up, won't you? If I, if if it sounds awful, or if it, or if there's just needs, you know, the odd word needs tweaking." And she was like, "No, you absolutely nailed it." And but I, you know, I grew up surrounded by the accent. My grandmother, and my aunts were in my life almost on a daily I lived with one of my aunts for a while yeah so it, it, it's an accent that comes really very naturally to me more naturally than naturally than uh, doing a general Indian accent which when I remember the first time I had to do an Indian accent um, yeah. it wasn't very good it was in an audition I was I was sort of put on the spot but um, I wasn't the only one that was terrible at it and we got dialect coaching and, and now I do that at the drop of a hat as well. Surely, surely the Australian accent's the easiest one for you to do, though. From spend, it's the most clingy one, isn't it? It's the one that clings on, and, and even people that have been there for a week come back with a twang of Australian to them. Yes. Yeah, they do. If I speak to anyone from back home, or if if I if I encounter someone over here who's an Aussie or a Kiwi, or if I'm watching something Australian then the accent starts to come back it's as each year goes goes on of me not living there it, it's getting weaker and weaker but yeah I can I can switch the Australian accent on as well it is quite it, it's more subtle than it used to be it's not quite like a you know like a Minogue accent but yeah it's quite easy to put on but it's not something that I've ever needed to use in fact I was interviewed by an agent once over here and she said, could you, you need to lose your Australian accent. And I was like, I didn't think I had one. But my vowels are still very Australian. So like I say, no, instead of no, 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 I can't even say, I can't even say, no, no. And I say polo, I say dance. So there's little, tiny little, little vowel giveaways every so often. I wouldn't notice them. Again, if someone says dance, i Dance doesn't sound right to me, but dance is usually something we get from the north, isn't it? It's, um... Yeah, I have. Yeah, someone did say to me once um, at college, "Are you from up north?" And I was like, "No." Would you, why would you? Have you heard me? And they were like, "You say dance." And I said, "Yeah, but I say dance. I don't say dance." And um, and they're like, oh, "That's the difference. Just the the length of the vowel." Yeah, that's a fair point. Oh, on her side, to be honest, if someone says dance and dance, I'm just going to hear the same thing. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> How different was your experience growing up in Australia and then coming to the UK culturally? 
Well, I mean, Australia, we had a lot more freedom, better weather. I know it sounds like, you know, stereotypical and a bit cliched, but we did have a lot more space and a lot more freedom and a lot more sunshine. And it was, it was just sort of, I think, maybe easier to grow up in Australia because of all of that. And then coming here, it was sort of... I said culturally, not not weather-wise. <laughs> well, I, I mean... I mean, Aussies are Aussies, you know. They, they were all pretty laid back and fun and, you know, I was a kid and then coming over here, it's it's very different being a, like a teenager in 20s. It's um, it's completely different experience. I mean, I don't know really what you mean culturally. Do you mean like Australians versus the British? Well, there's also your experience of race in Australia as opposed to in the UK. Gosh, again, bit pretty different. I had experienced like a bit of racism in Australia once or twice, but being a kid, you kind of don't really understand it. And you know, now being uh, an adult, I can look back and kind of go, okay, right, yeah, that was totally racist. But I think growing up in London and in the sort of musical theatre world or acting world in general, it's uh. It's just such, it's, it's sort of like a massive melting pot. You know, it's, we're kind of in a bit of a bubble in London, which, you know, the whole Brexit thing exposed, you know, because London was kind of like almost like an island in itself, apart from the rest of the country. So, yeah, so being in London and being in the arts, I guess maybe I, I was maybe sheltered from, say, if I grew up in Manchester wanting to be, I don't know, a... I was going to say a shoemaker. A shoemaker. I don't know. The old old cobbler. The cobbler's not been around since the 1800s, is it? I don't know where shoemaker came from. Uh, Oh, someone's going to make shoes. Maybe I wanted to be a machine. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that they do them on a mass automated scale now, not like the 19th century where you've got a builder who's high off all these weird fumes you get from rubber shoes. Yeah, so it, so it seems that you you know you had a relatively positive experience in that sense. It hadn't really come to your attention at that at that point. So I, one of the things that made me made me smile was when I saw one of your descriptions about how you're Irish, Sri Lankan, German, Russian, Jewish, with a touch of Spanish. It's like you're the embodiment of equality. <laughs> yeah, that's um, it's very. Co- I I just say I'm half Irish, half Sri Lankan, because that's just easier. But my parents themselves are mixed race. So, but they don't consider themselves mixed race because it's kind of just, you know, like one's definitely white and one's definitely Asian. And I guess, you know, back then they didn't embrace their heritage if it was mixed as much. It was just what they were more exposed to in their sort of immediate home environment. Whereas now we all, you know, we want to celebrate and my kids are, you know, mixed further, you know, beyond me because my husband's Cornish uh, with, like, English and Welsh. So, yeah, it's complicated. It's complicated. I'm sure I do have a couple of questions about race um, a bit later on, but we'll, we'll get okay. to that in a bit. Talk, talk, me through, talk me through your experience of being a 
being a part of the the new the new Aladdin remake. Well, that was really bizarre, actually. So I'd I'd gone in to audition for a part, and in the audition, I was visibly whether I actually was or not, I don't know, but I was visibly younger looking than the other women in the audition. And so I guess I think I just thought, well, I, oh, I'm i not going to get it because I'm obviously they're after someone older, but I'll I'll just go for it. I'll just, you know, have fun in the audition. And, and I really did. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and then I got penciled for the part, which I was really surprised about. I thought, okay, fine. Obviously, they've just maybe decided to go another way. And then my agent called and said, actually, they have gone the other way again. And they've gone older, but they really loved you and they still want you in it. And then I turned up for the rehearsal. We weren't really kind of sure what was going on like my with my agent because um I said does this mean I've I've got the job and they were like we're not really sure they've just messaged saying can Davina do a one-day rehearsal and basically we had to spend the day learning this routine Guy Ritchie was going to watch it and if he okayed it it was going in the show this that was not something I knew at the time but I rocked up and there were like all these proper proper dancers like commercial dancers they had like Rihanna tour jackets and you know they had like full-on makeup and slick hair and they were just proper proper dancers and there was me in my sort of Aladdin pants and uh, not intentionally just that's what I was wearing and um, sort of split sole jazz shoes and my little koala crop top jumper and my sort of big colourful hairband I felt like such an amateur I just felt so out of my league and I was like what am I doing here and then I went and questioned it to someone who was you know on the production and they were like no no your name's down yeah that's that's you so I was like okay and I thought okay well maybe I've, I've got the job and I am doing the older character that we thought was older and obviously isn't older and and these are the school kids maybe and then we went into this massive room and uh started learning this choreography and I was partnered with someone I was like and I had to say to myself I'm really sorry but I'm not a dancer I don't know and they were like oh stop stop darling you'll, you'll be fine and I was thinking no you really don't you don't get this I'm not being modest I'm really not a dancer not to this this level and thankfully I was able to do it and then Guy Ritchie came and, and I was just like I've got to go I've got to go and pick up my kids from nursery. And as, as soon as we finished the routine, I just legged it. And apparently that was like a one-day workshop. And Guy Ritchie loved the number. And so then we were all cast for this uh, one, just for this one scene. And then there was an awful lot of preparation for it. A bit more rehearsal, loads of hair and makeup and costume fittings. And yeah, and it, and it was and it was awesome. And then... When it came to shooting, I was really lucky because the studio was like 20 minutes from my house. So I it was no, you know, I had all these other um, dancers were like, you know, having to get up at like four in the morning, get trains down. And I'd just sort of jump in the car and go 20 minutes up the road. So I was really grateful, really, really grateful for that. And uh, it was just a bit surreal with Guy Ritchie and Will Smith on set. But they were lovely. They were really, really lovely, normal, down-to-earth people chatting to everyone. Did you get to speak to Will Smith at all? Yeah, a little bit. Not not like like one-on-one kind of conversations. He'd sort of like address groups. Yeah. Yeah. And 
and he was just lovely, really lovely, very tall. I imagine. I imagine he's quite yeah. a, quite a, quite a figure when you see <laughs> him. I'm delighted that they're going to be bringing out a comeback Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I, I cannot wait. Oh, I didn't but, know. Yeah, they were. It's a shame though because obviously the guy who plays Philip Banks won't be in it. He passed away years back. No. But, um, but yeah, they're doing a little reunion. I think. Awesome. Oh, I can't wait to, um, to look that up. Yeah, you, you have to look it up. Amazing. You have to look it up. Yeah. Um, I'm not I'm not hired by them to advertise it, by the way. I, I just, they just, they just popped <laughs> off my Instagram yesterday. It goes, oh, this sounds brilliant. Oh, fab. No, I, didn't, I haven't seen that. Great. When you chose to take the jump and leap into acting, what sort of decisions did you have to make with, with your children in the mix? Not really very many because that was who I was before I had kids and that's who I wanted to sort of continue to be. I remember when I told my agent I was pregnant, I was very, very nervous and tried to wait as long as possible and really played it down, which is terrible. All of the above is terrible. And they were so supportive. They were so lovely. (laughs) And I was like, oh my goodness, all this was in my head uh, because of all the horror stories that you hear. And... um, but they were lovely. They were so lovely. And I'd said to them, I the plan was for me uh, was to have the baby and take two months off and then get back to it. That didn't happen. <laughs> it's a real shock to the system when you have a kid. So uh, it took me a couple of years to come back. And my career was really going very sort of steadily well. And taking those two years out was a bit of a price to pay. So I kind of had to not exactly start again, but I just had getting the sort of, you know, the gears going again and getting myself back up to that level, um, which I I think I'm kind of ish back up there now. What is the most challenging part of of the acting world for you? That's a good question, but I don't know, like not even, not even like last minute auditions are not really a problem. No, sort of getting self tapes. You have to turn around in twenty four hours. But I can, I can, you know, I can do that now. You, you, the more you do, the the better you get at it. I think I don't find anything negatively challenging. I love doing sort of, sort of research into characters. I I just shot a short film um, two or three weeks ago, and it was sort of quite a different character than to any that I've played before and and also with a, a Yorkshire accent so that was quite interesting but I had been told I didn't have to do the accent but it kind of didn't really make sense to me not to if that's where the couple lived and they have a child who has a Yorkshire accent so I thought I have to and I actually thought the guy playing my husband was going to as well but then I don't think he did so that threw me a little bit <laughs> yeah you, 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 you put on this accent you put all this work into it and then yeah the other person just decided ah yeah. well just gonna put on a cockney accent instead <laughs> pretty much when does that ever happen in those days northern accent with cockney that just, just doesn't happen no <laughs> no what sort of prejudices have you found or faced in the entertainment industry I don't really know because I don't think I've been sort of like privy to them so if 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 anyone has discriminated against me it's not been obvious I think I know that like in the states when you audition for stuff it's actually illegal for them to ask you your age and where you're from you're you go in the room and you 
do your thing and you're either right or you're not. Whereas over here, there's been an awful lot of inquiries of where are you from and how old are you and uh, I only learned in the last couple of years that they're not they're not allowed, you're not allowed to do that over here either, but it's just not something that's really been addressed. But they are getting better at not asking that, and I I think they shouldn't because how can you go in as a you know like a, a blank canvas really mm-hmm. if they're going to make judgments against you because you might look older than you are or you might look mixed race but you're actually not you know and it's it's a it's a tricky one yes yeah, because like the acting business is a very difficult one anyway and and on spotlight most people's profiles have their ethnicity there they have there is a i don't have they got like an actual your actual ethnicity on there i know i've got nationality on there and i know you, you can select three like I don't know what it's called, like ethnic appearances or something. So, like, I can select mixed race, Asian, and then I can't, like Middle Eastern or Mediterranean or something. But the problem is, if you put me up next to someone Middle Eastern, I don't look Middle Eastern. No. You know? But and if you put me up next to someone who's Indian, I don't look Indian. So I'm kind of I'm my mix is a, a blessing and a curse, you know. And I'm obviously put me next to someone white, I'm not going to be white. I'm, because I'm not, but I'm half white, but I'm, you know, going to be considered Asian because that's how I look. But uh, I don't, I don't know if is eth- is actual ethnicity on there. I, I need to go and fact check that to be honest. But yeah. I just wonder because, like, for the for the Aladdin job, presumably the 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 casting director had their own preconceptions of what those 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 roles had to be and how people had to look on camera yeah i mean it's it's um i think they just wanted like a sort of middle eastern north african kind of feel because it was fictional but they you know they they also could because there's been so many disney movies that the certainly the main protagonists have been white they didn't want to sort of well they did something really weird i don't really know why they did this and so everyone knows the disney's version of aladdin um the animation uh but then they wrote in this white sort of scandinavian prince who was meant to be the competition for jasmine between um between him and prince ali and it was just really weird we're like why why are you do why why are you doing this? It's not necessary. But his part was significantly cut, and Billy Mangus Mang- Magnuson, I think, really funny, lovely guy, um, really lovely, really funny. Uh, just say that again, <laughs> and really funny, yeah. really lovely. <laughs> shout out, shout out for uh, you. Yeah. And so his part was heavily edited when i watched it i was like oh okay well okay so it's kind of in there as like a comic sort of you know you could argue that she doesn't have you know like a handmaiden or lady in waiting uh in the animation but she does who is again heavily featured in the live action so you know that's not why do they call it a live action i think just because it's with live actors Doing the action, oh, right. <laughs> as opposed to an okay, animation. Yeah, cool. 
I was going to say, oh, they, they didn't just do this in one massive take. That would have been an incredible, <laughs> yeah. incredible feat to have filmed the whole thing in, in just one, one go, take. Yeah, filmed as live. With people like Will Smith and Guy Ritchie about. I mean, Guy Ritchie's great, but <laughs> to do one massive hour and a half take that just gets it bang on straight up for Could the film would be, would be incredible. Be. incredible. But it, it genuinely did confuse me when I saw that. Oh, uh, right, action. yeah. So perhaps you haven't faced as much of that side of things in the acting business. I just wondered when when your ethnic... I just checked on Mandy and someone's profile says, or just random profile, it says Black African at uh-huh. the top as ethnicity. So I don't know whether that's the same on Spotlight. But when does it become an asset in the in the acting business? I guess when the... the- the breakdown is specific to your ethnicity. When I auditioned for Michael Grandage, started his uh, company, and the first show he did, the first play he did was he did a series of um, a week's worth of poetry readings first at the Arts Theatre, and then he went in with this big production of Privates on Parade. And the breakdown for the lead female was half Indian, half Welsh. 28-year-old half Indian, half Welsh. And I was like, that's me on paper. That I, you know, I mean, it, you know, Sri Lankan Irish, but Indian Welsh, you know, that's kind of the same thing. And he was very, he was adamant that he was casting people who were as much to that specification, uh, that, that ethnic sort of breakdown um, as, as possible. And so I... I actually got the understudy and one of my closest friends who is half um, English, half Indian, got the lead, got the part, and I covered her. So that was that worked in my favour because I know people that went up for it and they just, they weren't the mixed. They were they were just Indian or they were not mixed at all. And he went on to he one of in the season he did uh, the Cripple of Inishman with Daniel Radcliffe, and it's set in Ireland. And I think I think the entire cast, bar Daniel Radcliffe, were Irish, and that went on to Broadway. Oh, right. So here's the... Well, he's he's often the odd one out in any given group of people, especially in that. <laughs> he, he was awesome. He was fantastic. His Irish accent was brilliant. And he... And it was... And it was, it went to Broadway and I think won, like, loads of awards. Oh, wow. The whole season, the Michael Grandish season, was just phenomenal. Just exquisitely done. He was also incredible in Equus years back when that came out, that toured. That was... Uh, he was phenomenal in that too. Yeah, I heard. I heard. I didn't. I didn't care. I didn't see it. Anything, anything that involves animals, I'm not comfortable seeing because <laughs> I know I'm going to get upset. Yeah, luckily, luckily it was a play and there weren't real animals involved. But, no, um, I know, but still, I can't even go see Warhorse. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was quite a disturbing film, to be honest. I, um, player, to be honest, I, I, well, I, you know, I'll give you that much. It was. Yeah. Um, I also watched um, Lily Allen's brother, younger brother Alfie Allen, do it uh, yes. um, after That's him right. as well. Great. It was really good. Yeah, it was a good, good, disturbing. I was only like 15, I think, when I went to see it. But, right, yeah. Um, so that would be disturbing seeing it then, yeah. Yeah. The other, the other thing is, on which is very clear, it's on your Instagram and your social medias, is is that you're a vegan. Have you, have you always been a vegan? No, I was, as a teenager, I was sort of, I was vegetarian for a while, like seven years or so. And then when I was pregnant with my first child I was an absolute carnivore I just I just craved meat the rarer the better 
And uh, then when I was pregnant with my second, I couldn't go near the stuff, couldn't touch it. And I just went ve- vegetarian. And I thought, I didn't think anything of it. I just thought I'd just listen to my body. I was like, well, I, I just can't stomach it. And thought once he was born, it would be back to normal. But four months later, after he was born, I was still vegetarian. And then I woke up one morning and just went, can't do it. Can't can't do the butter. Can't do milk. Just just switched off. I think I'd seen enough. I, I, I'm not really on Facebook now, but at the time I was on Facebook and people were posting sort of sort of vegan activist images, footage, memes, information. Uh, so it was coming at me from all angles, really. And um, even if I wasn't, you know, clicking and reading or watching, that kind of felt to me more of a reason to go vegan because I was like if I'm not prepared to see where it comes from and how it gets to my plate I I have no right really to be you know consuming um yeah it's interesting because it's quite a difficult it's quite you know everyone everyone knows that vegans are right you know it's even massive meatheads uh, are you know understand that you know to save this planet we need to be a little bit more careful about what we're doing and 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 what we're consuming and things like that but it's quite a difficult thing to get people to get on board with because what they consume is not the need or the or the requirement for them to slaughter the animal for example they don't see have to see that animal suffering they don't have to see or or make that animal die at their hand so they just see it in your waist of thin ham that comes in a packet you know, and yeah, exactly. I, I just wonder. I just wonder what else we need to do as a society to 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 make that more of a. I mean, I still eat meat, but I do try and get it from you know from farms and places that I know that the animals were probably looked after. But again, even then, I know that I'm probably just kidding myself. But the natural thing to do is just to block it out of your mind. Exactly. Well, ignorance is bliss, isn't it? Though, and that's that's how I was. I I just. You don't think about it. You just, I mean, even when I used to go and order a steak rare and it was mouthwatering, have a glass of wine, you know, very Hannibal Lecter. But it was, you know, I enjoyed it and it was, and it was great. And I remember enjoying it. It's not necessarily that I want to do it again, but you don't, you don't go to a restaurant, look at the menu and think, you know, okay, how was this, uh, you know, Daisy, pork, I wonder what belly. Daisy was like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, don't don't ever give it an animal a name. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, that instantly personifies it and makes it even worse. Yeah, I, I mean, I just wondered how how receptive have your children been to veganism? Well, so first of all, when I when I, when I had my second, I had very bad postnatal depression and PTSD and. Uh, when I went vegan, two weeks into it, it was like someone had just switched a light on in my head and this sort of cloud was lifted and it, everything just pinged. Like I could see clearer and I felt happier and I could, it, it was like a weight had been lifted from me. And for me at that point, it was a no brainer to stay, to remain vegan. I was like, if this in in two weeks is the difference it made to my my, and I internally, even though I hadn't, 
I, I lost any weight um, in that two weeks. I could inside, internally, I felt tighter and like healthier and and people were commenting saying your skin looks amazing and you look really healthy and really happy what are you are you doing anything different and at the time I was like no I'm not doing anything and then I thought oh maybe it's just because I'm not you know consuming dead animal anymore you know <laughs> I'm not taking you know drinking cow's breast milk which when you think about it like that is a bit gross but yeah yeah I've, I've never quite understood the first person that looked at yeah yeah <laughs> How did we get? Oh, yeah. the, I wonder what that tastes like. <laughs> yeah, no. And I, listen, I used to, I used to drink. I, I, I remember I was doing. I did a show when, in the interval, I would drink a pint of milk and eat a twirl every single interval. Oh, chocolate and milk though is amazing. He really together. is. He really is. <laughs> uh, so, did, what, what's your, what's your substitute? For milk, yeah. Like if I want to drink a glass of milk, which I just don't really do anymore, to be honest. But it's if quite I a juvenile thing, to... but I still love it. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, well, I think I probably would if I wasn't vegan. I probably would still be doing doing my you know glass of milk and chocolate bar. I just think it's the best. But if if I ever do have a craving for a glass of milk, there's about three different ones that I would go for. Uh, one is oatly semi skimmed, um, which is the name suggests is made of oats there is one called uh, rebel milk they do a sort of skinny semi-skimmed and whole range uh, so it's... clearly the extinction rebellion invented that <laughs> yeah, no, yeah and the other one is called it's a make called cocoa and it's again coconut milk uh, but doesn't you, you don't really taste coconut a lot of coconut milks you can either taste the coconut or it's got like an aftertaste of coconut and this one just doesn't and it's um even my husband said who's definitely not vegan oh. he said that's uh the best alternative he's had in tea ah. um but you know going back to so when i when i first went vegan my husband was like first of all he was like i'm so proud of you you know because of how it's affected you positively and you know about a month later he was like um you're not gonna be vegan forever are you and i was like uh, I'm sorry, but you told me that you were proud of me for being vegan. And now he was like, well, I mean, no, I am. And, and it's great that it's helping you. But, I mean, are you going to eat meat again? I was like, no, I'm not. Sorry. That's that's it. And he's like, well, what about milk and butter and cheese? It's like, no. And, you know, yeah, every vegan, when they start, will tell you, cheese, I miss cheese. But you get you get used to it. You absolutely get used to not having it. And then you get used to the substitutes. And the substitutes out there are phenomenal. And I can't wait for lockdown to end because a friend of mine just bought a new house and she was like, wanted to have like a dinner party with some friends. And uh, I said, I'll do the cheese board and it would be all vegan cheese because there are so you can get blue cheese and you know, applewood smoked cheese and you know vegan goat's cheese and feta and um, camembert and brie you know it's it's just limitless now yeah. and going back to my kids uh, they're only four and six but I think when my daughter was sort of between four and five she was I, I sort of kind of shielded it from like I didn't I didn't tell them either way I just fed them regular food and one day I went into a coffee shop and uh, they did a vegan version of this cupcake and uh, I said can I have one regular cupcake and one vegan one I was with my daughter and we sat down to eat it's just two of us and she went mama is this vegan I went uh sorry (laughs) she went is my cupcake vegan I went no I went how do you know what vegan is and she said I heard you say to the lady that um you want a vegan one I went oh 
I said, well, it's not sweet. I said, but it tastes the same. I said, did you want a vegan one? She's like, no, I just wanted to know if it was vegan. I was like, okay. I was like, well, you don't actually know what vegan means, but okay. And then, so she was sort of slightly a little bit more aware of it. And then I remember driving home one day and she said, Mama, am I vegan? I said, no, you're not, sweetheart. She said, well, what, what are the other options? I went, um, vegetarian. She's like, what does that mean? And pescatarian and gluten-free. And, and then she was going through all of the different choices that she could be and she settled on flexitarian Ah, uh, okay <laughs> so she'd go around telling people she's flexitarian which basically means that she'll eat everything and sometimes she'll eat vegan meal and sometimes she'll eat just fish um you know and and so um uh, at school now that she last last year in the last term last four weeks they went back after lockdown uh she said she wanted to be vegetarian so we changed the school meals to vegetarian she didn't like them <laughs> so she's changed to pescatarian so she's now pescatarian but she is a pescatarian who eats hot dogs sausages ham and cod um uh, obviously she would eat fish because she's pescatarian but uh, uh, burgers She's she's just a flexitarian, really. She's just yeah. Yeah, I just I yeah. I mean, it's just it's just they 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 can be quite a lot of peer pressure on. I remember being a kid myself, and and you know people comparing lunch boxes or meals that they're having, right? Yeah, and things like that. And I, it can be quite confusing for children to they feel like they need to identify something, Absolutely. but they don't know necessarily how to do it or what they are exactly. Yeah. Well, I think that's why I I thought it was. It was not unhealthy for her to say that she was flexitarian because she obviously wanted to label herself as something. She wanted to identify with something because she knew I was vegan. And at her school, there are a couple who are... It's an egg-free school anyway and a nut-free school. But there are some who are halal or vegetarian or... I don't think the school has any vegans. But there's less pressure on her because they have school meals. It's not a school where you bring in your own lunch. So... She's sort of everyone get everyone kind of gets the same thing pretty much reception. She wouldn't have really noticed much difference in choice. And then year one, she spent half of it, if not most of it, in lockdown, so being homeschooled. And then going back now, all their school lunches they don't go into the canteen. They they have their meals delivered to them in boxes so there's no choice at all yeah if, if anyone's listening to this in the future i hope it's all right now by the <laughs> oh, way no. I, hope, I hope everyone's I hope we're all out of lockdown and we're not still in lockdown however oh, whenever goodness. you actually listen to this but, uh, but perhaps when when that does happen and there, there's a moment that she can go around her friends again and have sleepovers and all that sort of stuff then then again it's, it's a conversation that comes up because you know it's very difficult for a child when they're in somebody else's house to refuse something. And if she's having like this identity crisis at any point, which I'm sure it doesn't, it sounds like she isn't because you're so brilliant about the way you go about it. But refusing a sausage and that's the only thing on the menu, there's quite a lot of pressure on a child to to have to deal with. I think nowadays though, when you go for play dates, so often I get asked, you know, if it was like her best friend, I, I'll be asked is there anything she doesn't like or doesn't eat? 
So they people are sort of thinking ahead. And like when you go to parties now, I mean, there's like 30 kids, I'll be saying, you know, can anyone tell me if there are any allergies? They're, my 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 son and my daughter, both their birthdays are four days apart, uh, two years and four days apart. And they have joint parties at the moment, which is fantastic. Their second and fourth birthdays were joint and they basically I, I I did all the food and it was all vegan absolutely everything was vegan because I knew that there were vegetarians vegans and halal eaters dietary requirements so I just thought you know it's just gonna be easier if everyone just had but there were so there were vegan chicken nuggets kids didn't bat an eyelid couldn't tell the difference there were vegan even for the adults there were vegan smoked salmon and cream cheese bagels, which they couldn't believe. People just couldn't believe was were vegan. And, you know, it was just so lovely to see some of the parents who were hovering over their kids saying, oh, you can't eat that, you can't eat that. And I would go, it's all vegan. There is no there is no meat, there is no dairy, there is no egg. And go, oh, oh, oh. So it's like, you can, eat every, you can eat anything, you can eat everything. And they just sort of stood back and they were like, oh, this is wonderful. Oh, this is great. This has never happened before, <laughs> you know, outside of their own... Um, parties so you know for me it's just easier if it's vegan for everyone because then you know I've seen I've been to parties where kids are having to bring their own food and it just sort of breaks my heart a little bit seeing all these kids getting sausages and ham sandwiches and you know what have you and and there's this little girl with her mum up next to her opening up a you know dairy-free sandwich or you know whatever gluten-free I don't know but it's a much better world though to be a vegan isn't it oh it really is and it honestly every day it gets better and easier I probably couldn't have done it 10 10 15 years ago no definitely not I mean we we touched on there a little bit earlier about difficulties you've had in in the past with potentially with with racism and things like that and I I was very struck by one of the interviews you had in a, a newspaper about an experience of when you were picking up your daughter from school and your daughter has blonde hair and hazel eyes and one of the teacher's reactions was very presumptuous. So yeah, I I I have to I have to reread it because it's it wasn't a teacher and it wasn't school. She'd only been to one school they're incredible. I can assure you they know who I am and they know who my daughter is. My daughter is very confident. But this was a nursery, so she was one uh, and it was a it was a nursery team member who is like on the bank staff so I'd never seen her before either and yeah I just walked into the room and she was holding my daughter and I was like I I you know you sort of light up when you see a child and I went to sort of you know put my arms out and she just sort of twisted her body while she was holding it like away from me and I went I just I just remember that kind of I didn't see red but it was kind of like that sort of nanosecond of a moment of that's my daughter and she was like oh and obviously my daughter sort of you know leaned towards me and came to me and hugged me and everything but it was a real kind of eye-opening moment for me real eye-opening moment and it wasn't the last and I'm sure it won't be and and now she's slightly older than she was you know four or five years older than she was then yeah so Children are very observant and they pick these cues up more so than what we think. Yeah, absolutely. What sort of what kinds of conversations do you have with your daughter or expect to have to have with your daughter in the future about these 
kinds of experiences that you will probably face in the future again? I've not had to sort of like make her aware or wary of these possible encounters. She's, I mean, that, you know, she was obviously present at that encounter, that, that experience. But like I said, she was so much younger, she didn't notice. Another time it happened when we were in church. And again, she wouldn't have batted an eyelid. And she probably, she'd probably only just now start to be aware if someone was to say, is this your mummy? She's, she's aware of, like my my dad is Sri Lankan and is very present in their lives. He's in, he lives in Australia, but he we we FaceTime weekly and he's and they're always sending videos to him and yeah he's just he's heavily present in their lives and he comes over once or twice a year. Um, he was actually in lock in first lockdown with us uh, until he could get out back to Australia from one lockdown into another though. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. You know, and I have a lot of friends who are not white, who are either um, black or um, Asian or mixed race. And so they're kind of like exposed to other ethnicities and cultures. You know, like you know, on Fridays, we've just sort of started, even though we, we, we touched on it when she was about two. And then we sort of stopped a little bit and we've just started up again sort of not really not not observing shabbat but but uh, acknowledging it and we might have some challah bread and some grape juice and then like for example this weekend today is diwali so we've acknowledged that even though we wouldn't necessarily celebrate it because we're we're church of england but i i grew up in such a, a such a multicultural family that we did sort of we we always acknowledged everyone's celebrations so she's I like to think that she'll kind of be as worldly as as I am in in that aspect but she looks very differently so effectively she's white you know so she's should she decide to be an actress slash actor slash thespian slash performer she's um (laughs) that's an amazing callback (laughs) she's going to obviously not go for the asian roles indian even though she can say she's quarter sri lankan she doesn't look it my son however is a little touch darker so he might be able to pass for mixed race but uh yeah how would you feel about your children pursuing acting as a as a career? Oh, goodness. I think I've got... I, I mean, I absolutely encourage and support whatever their choices are. But <laughs> I think I think it might be slightly inevitable with my daughter already <laughs> that she's going to follow in my footsteps. She came to see me in a play once and at the end, I sort of said to my friend who was with her, I said, just stay stay with her right to the end to the like all the audience have left and I'll come out and get I'll come and get her from the auditorium I went to see her and she burst into tears and she said mama I thought I was going to go on stage and everyone was going to watch me dance and I was like oh bless oh uh, no that's not quite how it works as an audience member but uh, so then she had to go on stage and do a little dance for those of us who are still there she is very confident with her performing, even though it's just like, you know, her nursery nativity, you know, last year performing. And then she she just learns lines incredibly quickly. It's it's 
awesome you know like how how are you doing this because they were given their scripts for their nativity and um this year and i went to pick up from school and the teachers were like we just have to say that she's really really good (laughs) i was Mm -hmm. like is she and they're like she knows all her lines and we've only done one rehearsal i said i haven't even done anything with her at home yet and they're like haven't you i said no i said i said all we've done is read through the script once and that's it and not even the whole thing you know the massive you know when there's like two pages where she's not got any lines we've just sort of skipped those because otherwise i just have to read them all so we've only just really skimmed over the skip the, the script once um, and uh, she's yeah she's apparently very good but we, we shall see when uh, when the time comes you might not be able to avoid this I'm afraid to be I know I know I know <laughs> but I guess I, I guess it's about again it, go, it boils down to how you talk to your children about yeah. it doesn't it I guess you know you you know the business you know the, the things that aren't good about it you know the things that are great about it and you know you know the ways. You, you know the ways of how to have a good relationship with rejection, and yeah. providing she learns those things that we all have yeah. to learn, because there's there's far more rejection than there is success. Absolutely. in this world, unfortunately, for for the unlucky ones of us. But it it's all about how you deal with that. And you know, she's only young. She's only. I think you said she was six, so she's got a long a long way to go yet. And and I'm sure. If she's this confident now, she's going to have to have those moments where her confidence is hit because it, it's it's part of growing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I can't. You know, in a in the nicest possible way, I hope she does because otherwise, you you do have to have a tough skin to be in this industry, and you do have to be able to, like, say, take those knockbacks and and know how to move on from them and work from them and improve from them and and understand them and accept them and not let them define you and i think she if 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 she's just handed everything on a plate and just has you know success after success after success and that's just not i mean that would be super lucky and great but yeah then you know how can she identify with what her peers would be will be going through or you know it's, it's you know and then if eventually she does get knocked back and she's like <laughs> I'm just surrounded by yes people. What do you, what do you mean you're saying no? <laughs> we all need to, whatever line of work we're in, we need to know how to deal with the knockbacks. We've, we've, we've managed to make the tail end of this about your daughter and not about <laughs> you as an actress, but whatever prefix you want to use. Uh, yeah, so so for you, obviously, as we're recording this, now by the time someone hears this, we're probably going to be out of lockdown and you're going to be doing some massive hit on TV or something like that. What are your hopes for your career in the future? I've I've just always wanted just to be working. It was never it was never about the fame and fortune. I'm very much about um, just being successful and maintaining a career, which I feel touch wood I have done, and and I'm really proud of myself. And I've got an awesome agent that's you know backed me and believed in me and helped me to achieve that. And the casting directors I meet are the same. You know they they also believe in me, keep calling me back. Um, you know, or fight for me. I've got, uh, I think I've got three things that are due out. Uh, but because of lockdown, everything sort of, you know, all post-production was sort of halted for a long time. I've got, um, there's a film that I'm in that was due out this year. It's now not going to be out till next year. So that's kind of, you know, we're waiting to see what happens with that. I've got other filming gigs lined up, which are great, but 
you know, one one guy from the crew got COVID, so it got shut down for two weeks. So everything got put back by two weeks and then something else happened, got put back another two weeks. And so I've got little bits lined up. It's just when they'll happen. It's a strange way of working because often with, with filming, I've, I've done a bit myself, is that you often film something and then forget about it and then you're on to the next project and then by the time that comes out, you've, yes. you've moved on. But with things being delayed, you have to keep... You're like you're now holding on to that thing you, you, know, you, you recorded a year ago and it's like usually in, usual, in the usual way of work, things you've moved on to four or five different projects if you're lucky. I, absolutely. I mean, I had... Um... I had a Zoom with some actor slash actress slash performer girlfriends recently <laughs> and uh, like just a couple of nights ago and uh, they were like, um, Dabs, were you doing, you put something on Instagram that you were filming. What were you filming? Why haven't you told us? And I was like, oh, um, that was that was quite a quick turnaround. That was something I did in Yorkshire and it was a film. And, and they were like, oh, have you got other work lined up? And I was like, yeah, I've got, I think I've got something coming out and I'm meant to be filming. And it, it sounds... Like, you know, oh, I've got so much work, I can't keep up. But it's actually the opposite. It's just that it's so kind of sort of sporadic and really spaced out and delayed. And I, you know, so I'm like, I, I don't know what is happening now, what isn't happening or when it is going to happen. So I don't, I just don't sort of, I'm, I'm not clinging on to them. And I'm just like, well, you know, I'll just wait and see. I've been penciled, I've been given my dates that I've been told. So I've just penciled them. And, and when production or my agent says... You know, there's a car picking you up at 5am tomorrow morning, then I'll know we're going ahead. <laughs> but uh, until until I get the sort of confirmation from either production or my agent, I'm not sitting there watching the diary going, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? When's it going to happen? I've given up with some of the things that I've, I've got. Like I said, I've got a couple of things I've, I've shot this year or and last year that still haven't come out yet. And uh, I've just sort of, I'm just like... Yeah, my mindset mindset on this is massive, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it really is just do it. It's like auditioning. They say audition, do your best, send the tape off or, or leave the room and let it go. And that's kind of what I'm doing with this, you know, these jobs that I filmed. I'm like, okay, well, I've done them now. And let's, let's just let them go. They'll come out when they're ready to come out. And presumably voiceover work is still very much active and something that is is there. I mean, I, I got offered a load of it just as lockdown hit. And so it was almost yeah. suddenly, suddenly it became like an asset to have to have voiceover as a thing on your, your CV. Absolutely. Yeah. My, my voiceover work really kicked off in lockdown. Um, there's a lot of voiceover work out there. Don't tell them that. <laughs> Don't uh, tell them that. <laughs> there's, there's... Cut uh, that <laughs> bit out. Jesus. There's none of it. We're struggling... <laughs> We're difficult, and I'll just keep very quiet about the bits that I do get. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's but it just depends what they're after, isn't it? Doesn't it? It's it's just yeah, if you know if they're after the sort of the feel, the accent, the how the age that you sound, and um, that's interesting actually because whilst people judge you on the way that you look, your voice is a very different matter. No one gets the opportunity to. To do that, so is, is is it quite is it quite liberating to do to do voiceover work? Yeah, it really is. Um, I did something for CNN recently, and um, nice. Uh, yeah, it was great fun, and yeah. I uh, did. It was it was sort of like a montage, and my my voice is at the beginning, 
uh, as my regular speaking voice. And then about four voices later, it's me again in an Indian accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it was, it's great. I just, you know, I've, um, you either sound right or you don't. It's true. It's true. Well, Davida Moon, actor, actress, thespian, <laughs> singer, vocalist, voiceover. I was probably going to ask the editor to cut that beginning bit out. But now we've mentioned it and alluded to it <laughs> at least six times throughout the conversation. There's absolutely no way they can get cut out because it's going to sound out really, really strange if we do. <laughs> like, they're really weird. <laughs> they're very PC. <laughs> yeah, really PC. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And, I, you know, it's been amazing to have you on. Thank you so much for asking me. Davina Moon, what a lovely conversation that was. If you'd like to find out more about her or follow us on social media, all of that information is in the description. Next week's guest is rap slash hip-hop singer-songwriter Nia Nikolai. Take care, stay safe, and I'll speak to you next week.